0: Yo, this is after Rose of Guns Roses.
1: Hey, this is Carmen Alexa.
0: Hi, this is Girl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal double G. Hi,
1: this is Don Salad.
0: Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports
1: Beat. is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat.
0: Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge
1: all right welcome once again to another episode of the sports beat with richard holdridge how is everybody doing on this wednesday getting close to 500 episodes we're at 490 episode 490 That's right. I've got a great show for you. I'm going to have my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, on for the Daily Dash. And on the show is my Wednesday's guest, Justin Dale, as we talk everything Georgia sports, to include previewing that upcoming Georgia-Florida game. I always get nervous every time Georgia plays Florida, but we do have a great show. Just a reminder that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan, Georgia, Brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar and Grill, Go Jump and Slide Inflatables, and Christie's Cafe. So excited about the show. I'm going to recap the NBA last night. The Warriors got blown out, which is rare when they have everybody that's healthy. They got blown out by the Phoenix Suns. We've got high school football coming up this Thursday and Friday. It should be a lot of fun. So let's go ahead and get started with the show. So, Klay Thompson gets ejected for the first time in his NBA career as the Golden State Warriors fall to the Phoenix Suns 134-105. to Thompson and Devin Booker got heated when the official gave back-to-back technical fouls. It was a close game in the third quarter with the Suns leading 81-76, to but with no Klay Thompson in the lineup, the Suns just too much. But it was a tough game for Klay Thompson, only shot one of eight from the field. Some of the other scores in the NBA, the Washington Wizards get a big win over the Detroit Pistons, 120-99. The New Orleans Pelicans beat the Dallas Mavericks, 113-111. to Very impressive win by the Pelicans because they did not have Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram in the lineup. But Luka Doncic for the Dallas Mavericks had 37 points. And you also had the Oklahoma City Thunder beating the Los Angeles Clippers without Kawhi Leonard, 108-94. So we have some pretty decent games tonight in the NBA. The Atlanta Hawks are taking on the Detroit Pistons, and they're going to be on the road for their next five games The nationally televised game tonight is a doubleheader. The Brooklyn Nets taking on the Milwaukee Bucks Looks like an Eastern Conference Finals preview. The Bucks are 2-0, but Brooklyn is 1-2 after losing to the Memphis Grizzlies the other night. And then you have the 0-3 Lakers taking on the 2-2 Denver Nuggets. I wonder if the sky is falling for Laker fans because they just don't look all that great. But there is a trade proposal out there to ship Russell Westbrook out of town. To the Utah Jazz, for key players like Mike Conley Jr. Let's see if this trade proposal actually falls through. But the Lakers are in crisis. It's hard to believe if you're a Lakers fan that you think that everything is okay right now. You voted for it on Twitter. The high school game of the week for week 11 is Trinity Christian at Troop County. The visiting Trinity Christian Lions after losing to the LaGrange Grangers at home last week 24-10 come into Callaway Stadium this Friday night with a 5-3 record, 4-1 in the region, taking on a Troop County Tigers team that is trying to clinch their first region title since 1987. Troop County is still undefeated, having a special season. Head coach Tanner Glisson has got a great team with a very special quarterback, Teo Todd. And that is going to be a massive region game and... And we're going to cover that game on the Friday Night Lights High School Football Preview Review Show for Week 11. This regular season is almost done. Stay tuned for tomorrow's show as I'm going to reveal my four candidates for high school game of the week for Week 12. Which is mainly going to be Georgia schools because Alabama has wrapped up their regular season. And they'll get ready to start the playoffs. I'm going to have brand new WRBL Sports Director Jack Patterson on the show next week as he is going to be a special guest on the High School Football Preview Review Show, as we are going to preview the playoffs for Alabama and Georgia. So last night at Ivy Park Sports and Grill, which is a sponsor of this show, there was a little podcast on YouTube Live with the new owner of the Columbus Lions, the Director of Operations, Alan Meek, and the brand new Columbus Lions head coach, Coach Chris Mack. Very interesting podcast. I'm very intrigued by this season. The schedule's already out for 2023. The Columbus Lions home opener is going to be April the 1st against the San Antonio Gunslingers. I'm very excited about this upcoming Columbus Lions season. And I look forward to being on the broadcast with Jared Dillard. I want to talk about the Georgia-Florida game. Georgia is favored by and a half points. This is not going to be a blowout win by Georgia. I'm already predicting it. It's going to get tight into the third quarter, and the depth for the Georgia Bulldogs will eventually put Georgia out on top. I am predicting a 31-17 to score, but it's going to be tight in that first quarter. It's probably going to be 3-0 or 0-0 because Florida has a decent defense. They're going to figure things out. Anthony Richardson is a special quarterback. Florida just plays at a different level every time they play Georgia. And it's going to be a game. I would not expect a Georgia blowout. Plus, they got Tennessee to look forward to next week. That is the 330 CBS game. Looking like it's going to be number one versus number three. Tennessee does play Kentucky. Ohio State will take on Penn State and Happy Valley. I expect Ohio State to win that game. But the big question is, who has Ohio State played? Look, I know that Ohio State looks impressive. C.J. Stroud is probably going to win the Heisman. Ohio State has not beaten a ranked team yet this season. They got Penn State in front of them. They still have to play Michigan. I'm surprised to see where they're going to be ranked in the first college football playoff rankings that will come out on November the 1st. All right, before I get Corey on for the Daily Dash, I just want to remind everybody that tomorrow's show, I'm going to have a special episode with Columbus State men's basketball coach, robert moore and the columbus state women's basketball coach matt hauser you could check out the interview with coach moore on my facebook page we did a video podcast i'm gonna start doing more video podcasts as i get more comfortable with the technology and i have a goal i have a goal as a podcaster to start doing live shows at ivy park sports bar and grill outskirts sports bar and grill just any one of these local establishments that's willing to promote my podcast and just get more of the audience involved and uh, bring my broadcast partner and co-host Corey bank on as well speaking of which we will take a break and we will be right back with Corey bank for the daily dash stick around welcome back to the daily dash I have got my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank. We're going to make some college football picks. And then I have a top five list. I want to see, Corey, if you agree with me. I'm ranking the top five rookies so far in the NBA season. Corey, how are you doing? Phenomenal, Richard. That is great. Well, we have got some great college football games this weekend. I'm excited. We're going to start with the big noon kickoff. Ohio State is traveling to Happy Valley to take on Penn State. Now, Ohio State, they haven't really beaten any ranked teams yet, but they are ranked two in the AP poll. I'm interested to see what the Buckeyes are going to look like when the first college football ranking comes out November 1st. They are a two-touchdown favorite over Penn State. I expect them to win this game, but I expect it to be close because Penn State still has a pretty good team. They're playing in Happy Valley.
0: Corey, who do you have in this game? So, who I have in this game? The Ohio State Buckeyes come into this matchup with a record of 7 0 on the year. In their last matchup, Richard, the Buckeyes played the Iowa Hawkeyes and went home with a win by a final score of 54 10. CJ Stroud went 20 of 30 with 286 yards through the air and four touchdowns. He had a QB rating of 184.1, and ended the contest with one interception. Vion Henderson was the rushing leader for the Buckeyes with 11 attempts for 38 yards, 3.5 yards per attempt. Once the final whistle blew, they tallied 62 plays, which gave them 360 yards of total offense. The Ohio State Buckeyes ran the Rock 30 different times and totaled 66 yards, not so great on the rushing game, but getting in between the tackles, Richard, 2.2 yards per rush. So that's going to be something that remains to be seen because Penn State traditionally has very good gap-filling linebackers who are able to be able to pursue the run game in that regard. So the Ohio State offensive line is going to have to open up the pocket for quarterback C.J. Stroud in order to be – Unstoppable in the football game, so when it came to stopping the run, the Buckeyes gave up 77 yards on 35 attempts. So on the other side of the fence, Penn State usually has Sean Clifford um, as a pa- as a pocket passer, but the thing is is that this Ohio State defensive front is stout, and in that regard, it's going to be a battle of the trenches. So the Ohio State team relinquished 11 passing. Completions on 24 attempts, 81 yards. A completion rate of 45.8%. The Nittany Lions come into the matchup with a record of 6-1 of the season. When they last stepped on the field, Richard, the Nittany Lions took home the win by a final score of 45-17. When they played the Minnesota Golden Gophers, Sean Clifford had four touchdowns. He finished the game with 295 yards on 23-31 passing. Very good QBR rating. 190.3. 190.3. You don't typically see that in a quarterback that's very efficient. He did throw an interception, and the average yards per attempt was 9.5. So Nicholas Singleton, he carried the football from the lines Lions 13 times for 79 yards, finishing the game with 6.1 yards per carry, very efficient in the run game. Then the Lions finished the game with 479 yards, full running, 67 plays. So, the Penn State team averaged five yards per carry in the contest, 34 attempts, 175 yards. And this Penn State defense allowed 46 uh, rushing attempts for 165, 3.6 yards per rush. Now, in this game, it's going to be a lot closer than what the spread says. What, two touchdowns? I'm still going to take Ohio State. But because it's going to be the game of the Battle of the Trenches, it's going to be. I would say within a touchdown.
1: Great pick, Corey. Now let's talk about the Georgia Florida game. I actually put this down as a pick, even though Georgia's favored by twenty two points. We all expect Georgia to win, but I have a prediction for this game. This game is going to be tight in that first half, possibly even a three nothing game or a scoreless game. Georgia's going to pull away, and I believe they're going to win the game, but they are not going to cover. They are going to win the game thirty one to seventeen. I believe that Florida is going to cover in this game.
0: Very interesting pick, Richard. So alongside the fact that this is a great rivalry matchup that happens pretty much every single year, huge football game, what people may not realize is that this is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Yes, I said it, Richard. This is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. But when Florida and Georgia meet up for their annual neutral site game, which happens every year like this, there's no shortage of partying, but back to football. So the Florida Gators come into this game with a record of 4-3 and three this year. In their last matchup, the Gators faced the LSU Tigers and went home with a loss by a final score of 45-35. Anthony Richardson connected on 15-25 with 185 passing yards in the game and one touchdown. He had a quarterback rating of 135.4 and ended the game without throwing interception. But here's the thing. A dynamic runner, Anthony Richardson, he is. He led the offense of the Gators. Nine carries for 109 yards. He's averaging a first down every single time he touches the football. 12.1 yards a carry. At the end of the game, they tally 59 plays, which converted into 395 yards. The Florida Gators ended up rushing 33 times for 210 on the ground. Very efficient. 6 Point four yards per carry Richard. Now, the Gators gave up 179 yards on 38 attempts, so they gave up right around 5 yards to carry 4.7, and going into this game, the Bulldogs are 7-0 in the season. The last time they took the field, they played against the Vanderbilt Commodores. They won 55-0. When they ran with the football, it was 10 times for 49 yards Finishing the game with 4.9 yards per carry, quarterback Stetson Bennett had two touchdowns in the game. He threw for 289, 24-30 passing, while his quarterback rating was an amazing 100.2, 182.9. He did not throw any interceptions in the game. Now this Georgia defense, amazing, 23 attempts for 45 yards. So that trench fight is going to be established right there. That defensive line is stout, and they're going to penetrate in the backfield. Now, they gave up 12 of 24 passing 105 yards. So this Georgia Bulldog team is tough mentally. They're coached very well. they got a lot of athletes. My personal opinion is Georgia Bulldog team is, gonna, is going to roll right over Florida and i take them in the game. All
1: right, now Kentucky is visiting Tennessee in Knoxville. Tennessee is favored by 12 and a half. Kentucky is 5-2, and but one game you could just throw out because Will Levis wasn't even playing, the loss to South Carolina. This Kentucky team looks more like that team that barely lost to Ole Miss when Kentucky was a top-10 team. I actually think Kentucky keeps this game close. Tennessee might be overlooking Kentucky for that Georgia game in two weeks. And I believe Tennessee wins, but Kentucky covers and keeps it close.
0: Very interesting prediction, Richard. So the Kentucky Wildcats head to this football game 5-2 of the year. In their last matchup, the Wildcats faced the Mississippi State Bulldogs and took home the win by a score of 27-17. Will Levis went 17-23. Precision was there for him, one of the best quarterbacks top five quarterbacks, when he's going into the draft next year. He threw for 230 yards passing and a touchdown. He had a quarterback rating of 163.6, very efficient. And he finished the contest with an interception. Christopher Rodriguez Jr. was the rushing leader for the Wildcats. 31 carries, 197 yards, just showing how dynamic he is when he gets outside the tackle box and he was running all over all day. So 6.4 yards per carry on the day. They ran 73 plays, 478 yards. The Kentucky Wildcats ended up running the ball 48 different times, 239 in total, five yards per attempt. Now, against the run, the Wildcats gave 22 yards on 10 attempts. So they're very stout on the defense as well. It's amazing to see that there's a lot of great rushing defenses out here in college football these days. And Kentucky allowed 25 completions on 37 attempts for 203 yards and a completion rate of 67.6. Now the Volunteers headed the matchup 7 0 on the year. In their last game, the Volunteers walked away by a score of a victory of 65 24 when they played the Tennessee Martin Skyhawks. Dylan Sampson carried the football 13 times for 62 yards, finishing the contest with 4.8 yards per attempt for Tennessee. Now, quarterback Hedden Hooker had three touchdowns. He finished the game with 276 to the air on 18 of 24, passing the best quarterback rating of the week, 212.9, Richard. That is unbelievable. He didn't cost any picks, and his average yards per attempt was 11.5. Now this Tennessee team allowed 29 rushing attempts for 76 yards. So that, once again, is going to be a matchup where both defensive fronts are very good, and they have linebackers that fill the holes very efficiently. So the volunteer secondary conceded a completion rate of 59.6%, relinquishing 316 yards on 28 of 47 passing. Now this Volunteers team finished the contest with 696 yards. Is that really a game, Richard? 8.4 yards per play on 83 plays. They controlled the clock. Tennessee ran for 4.4 yards per attempt, and they finished the game with 46 carries for 201 yards. In this matchup, I'm going to have to take the Volunteers. They're going to keep rolling over. They're going to keep showing exactly why they are an incredible team this year, Richard.
1: Very interesting, Corey. You're actually picking winners, and I'm taking the points. But we both agree that Tennessee is going to win. All right, the final game we're going to talk about: Ole Miss is taking on Texas A&M in College Station. Texas A&M is doomed for a disastrous season, three and four on the year. They're going to be out key players, and Ole Miss, after losing in Death Valley to LSU, they're trying to bounce back and. get a win. The SEC West is still in play for Ole Miss. So this is a very crucial game because they know if they beat Alabama and if they still have one loss, they'll have the tiebreaker and they will go to Atlanta. They are a slight favorite. I actually believe that the Ole Miss Rebels are going to bounce back and get the victory over the depleted Texas A&M Aggies team.
0: Richard, I honestly have to think to being agreeing with you on this. So this Ole Miss Rebels team steps onto the field, holding a record of 7-1 on the season. In their last contest, the Rebels stepped onto the field against the LSU Tigers and took their first loss of the season, 45-20. Quinshawn Judkins was the leader on the ground for the Rebels with 25 carries for 111 yards, a fish, an efficient 4.4 yards per carry. Jackson Darr connected on 19-34 with 283 yards passing, he had a quarterback rate of 119.9 and finished the game with an interception. Now, against the run, this Rebels team gave up 252 yards on 48 tries. Now, that's not something that we see with the Rebel ball club. Not their best performance, giving up 5.3 yards per rush. But this old Miss team gave up 21 completions of 28 attempts for a total of 248 in the game, 75%. That's a high completion percentage that they gave up in the football game. But we do believe they're going to bounce back. And in that regard, the Ole Miss team ended up running the ball 37 different times. And they got 117 yards on the ground. So this Aggies team that they're playing against heads into the game, like you said, Richard, 3-4 and four in the year. When they last played, the Aggies walked away with a loss of a score of 30-24 against the South Carolina Gamecocks. Haynes King had a touchdown. He finished the game with 178 yards through the air, 17-32, to passing while he had a QB rating of 103.9. He tossed an interception, but his average attempt was 5.6 yards to throw. Now running back, Devin Acne ran the ball 20 different times for 99 yards, ending the game with a rushing average of about 5 yards per carry. Now this Texas A&M team ran for 4.6 yards, Carry, finishing the game with 28 rushes for 129 yards. Now the Aggies team really, really gave up relinquishing on the past game uh, 168 yards to the game. So in this game, I do agree with you. I see this Ole Miss team bouncing back and really showing why they're going to take care of business against this Texas A&M team that is definitely struggling this year.
1: All right, Corey, so we are early on in the NBA season, and I've got a top five list of the top five rookies that have made an impact in the NBA. And tell me if you agree with this list. Paulo Boncaro for the Orlando Magic, Benedict Mathrin for the Indiana Pacers, Jabari Smith Jr. for the Houston Rockets, Jaden Ivey for the Detroit Pistons, and Keegan Murray for the Sacramento Kings. Only two of those rookies are averaging more than 20. Really, the most shocking rookie, Corey, is Benedict Matherin for the Indiana Pacers. But who are your top five rookies in the NBA so far?
0: Paulo Benchero, the Orlando Magic rising star, six foot 10 forward. He's had an impressive rookie campaign so far, averaging 22.8 points per game, seven and a half rebounds, and three assists per game. Most recently, this blue, this Duke. Blue Devil has a lot riding on him in his first pick. I'd say right now he is the best rookie right now coming out. Another guy, like you said, Benedict Matherin, Indiana Pacers shooting star, six foot six shooting guard. He's been impressive as well in his rookie campaign 22.3 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, and two assists per game. Most recently, the Arizona Wildcat has a lot of pressure on him. He is an eighth pick out of this year's draft to be carrying those Pacers now. You got Jabari Smith Jr., the Houston Rocket man, six foot eleven point forward. He has a impressive rookie campaign so far, fifteen points, and he is this year's number third pick, Jaden Ivey from the Detroit Pistons. Connecting, he's their connector of the point guard, six foot five. He has an impressive rookie campaign so far as well, seventeen point seven points per game and five rebounds and six assists per game richard now most recently the purdue boilermaker has had a lot of pressure on him he was this year's fifth pick in the draft and then the fifth rookie which i have to agree with keegan murray the detroit pistons small forward six foot eight impressive rookie campaign 17 and a half points per game four and a half rebounds Most recently, the Iowa Hawkeye has a lot of pressure on him. These five players, Richard, are going to be watched all year long. These are all top 10 picks, and they're playing exactly how they're supposed to.
1: And the number two overall pick for the Oklahoma City Thunder, Chet Holmgren, is out for the season. So we don't know what type of impact he's going to have when he returns next year. But, Corey, great pick. We both agree that these are the top five rookies in the NBA. So, this is going to be the picks for the first-team all-rookie. I believe it's early, but Paolo Banchero is going to win Rookie of the Year. I think he had a tremendous impact opening night, scoring 27 points. Not since LeBron in 2003 have we had a rookie make an impact right away.
0: It's true. I mean, he is dynamic, and it's very precedent. I mean, he's rebounding the basketball very well, but he's also showing he's a team player. He likes to facilitate as well. At the position he is, especially the fact that he is not even a point guard and he's facilitating that way and really putting something together. He's got great range for his side, a six foot ten. And I do think he is definitely representing being his number one pick in the draft. Corey
1: is always great segment for the Daily Dash. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.
0: Always a pleasure doing these broadcasts with you, Richard.
1: All right. That was my broadcast partner and co-host Corey Bank. We'll be right back with Justin Dale. You don't want to go anywhere. We'll be back. Welcome back to the show. And I've got on the show my Wednesday guest, Justin Dale. You know, Justin, Georgia was on a bye. The brave season is over. It looks like we're pretty much just going to talk about the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about more than just the Atlanta Falcons. But uh, how have you been? Good, man. Good. Yeah.
2: It's getting, um, you know, with the Braves out, uh, their season over, uh, Georgia on a bye. It was a little quiet last week. Not, not a whole lot to watch. In fact, I think I looked over at, uh, was I with my, uh, I think it was with my girlfriend. I looked over at her and I said, this is the first weekend since uh, probably back in March where I didn't have anything sports related to watch. So, um, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been good. Uh, Falcons, um, you know, game could have been better <laughs> against the Bengals, but, uh, You know, um, there was some, there was, there were some good things I saw in the
1: game, um, against the Bengals and, uh,
2: Hawks are off to a good start. So yeah, got some good things to talk about.
1: Let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons because their secondary was so depleted having four corners out. So Joe Burrow could do whatever he wanted. He has three amazing wide receivers. I think the Cincinnati Bengals have the best wide receiver core in all of football and it it was just not fair, just watching Joe Burrow do whatever he wanted against that Falcon secondary. You knew it was
2: going to be rough um, being down so many defensive backs for this game. Joe Burrow has established himself as one of the top quarterbacks in the game after taking the Bengals to the Super Bowl last year. And, yeah, they they do. They got such a good receiving core. Uh, Tyler Boyd had eight, eight receptions for 155 yards. Jamari Chase had eight receptions for 130 yards, a couple touchdowns it wasn't pretty, um, from a defensive standpoint, but, you know, when you got that good of a quarterback with that good of a receiving core and you're down, you know, using second, third string defensive backs, you know, it, it, you knew it was going to be a rough day for the Falcons, but, um, but, you know, the Falcons did put 17 points up on, on the board. Uh, like I said, there was a positive to take out of that game. Uh, Mariota looked, looked pretty good, you know, eight for 13, 124 yards with a touchdown pass had the big long, uh, seventy five yard touchdown pass to uh Damari that was his first I think touchdown of the year um Kyle pitts had a uh a catch that looked a, a play that looked like it could have been a touchdown that uh was reviewed eventually they said it was not it was he, was he was not it not it didn't break the plane so he almost had his second touchdown pass in two weeks but uh they ended up punching punching that ball in on the ground instead with uh Tyler Algier, uh who had that touchdown run but you know he had you know 16 carries for fifty yards um you know, it was a little bit, a little bit of a uh, tough sledding day for the for the uh, on the run game, but you know there was there was some things to take out of it. It wasn't a you know given the circumstances, the Falcons played as well as they could on the
1: road against a very good Bengals team. And that is one thing they jumped out. The Bengals jumped out to that twenty one nothing lead, and the Falcons mm-hmm. could not do what they like to do best, which is run the football. And I'm starting to be impressed with their running back tandem of Caleb Hunley and Tyler Algier. And just wait until Cordell Patterson comes back. And the good news, Justin, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost. So right now, they are tied with the Buccaneers at 3-4. and I mean, who wants to win this division in the NFC South?
2: Uh, Yeah, nobody's really jumping out right now and wants to win the division. Um, That's for sure, after seven games. Uh, The Buccaneers, who a lot of people thought would cruise to winning uh, this division, is they haven't really looked like the team we saw last year, even two years ago when they went won the Super Bowl. Uh, so yeah, there's there's definitely some dysfunction on that team as well. They're not playing as well. The Falcons are still growing. Uh, Carolina's in turmoil right now, and New, or- New Orleans, you know, they they got a they got an up and down team as well that you know plays well one week, doesn't play well the next. And so it's it could be a dogfight, honestly, unless Tampa Bay can get themselves together. I know they've got some injuries. Um, if they can get healthy, um, they can uh, maybe get themselves back together. But uh, yeah, this it, it, it could be a dogfight for this division between you know uh, Tampa Bay, the Falcons, New Orleans might sneak back in there. We'll see. Um, but uh, the Falcons have some chances on their schedule for some wins uh, coming up. I know they got the Panthers um, coming up quickly, so yeah, they're, they're they're they got a chance to try to get back over five hundred.
1: All right, their next opponent is the Carolina Panthers, who beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with former XFL player, PJ Walker. And it seems mm-hmm. to be working in Carolina. They trade away Christian McCaffrey. They trade away Robbie Anderson and they get a win under interim head coach, Steve Wilks. It seems like you don't want to underestimate the Panthers, even though the Falcons should beat the Panthers next week. Right, Justin?
2: You would think um, they're going to be his home game. They got the Panthers in Panthers. Like I said, there's some there's change happening there in Carolina, but it's the NFL. You don't want to underestimate anybody. You play uh, team can step up and win any game, you know, any time. So yeah, but they they get the Falcons. They they've got the Falcons at the Panthers twice in the next three weeks. Um, you know, get them at home, and then um, you know this coming Sunday, and then again on November 10th they'll go to Carolina and play. So there's opportunity there to take both games. I think the Falcons are. They're plenty capable of winning both games. Uh, Then they have a home game against the Chargers on the sixth, and then uh, on the twentieth they have the Bears in town. Bears are struggling as well, so there's there's four games coming up that are very winnable for the Falcons. Um, You know, best case they could go four and zero and jump out, you know, to like you know jump out to like a seven and four record, which would be great. But even if they you know take three three out of those four, you know, something like that, then they can kind of stick around five hundred. And uh or maybe be kind of right right at five hundred um on the season if they can they can win
1: some of these games.
2: But yeah, the Falcons are hanging in there and and their their schedule is set up fairly favorable going forward to try to you know get out and get some more wins.
1: All right, Justin. Some of the criticism from Falcons fans is because Marcus Mariota is not an elite passer, he cannot get into a shootout with a quarterback like Joe Burrow. Right. Does the Falcons If this season is lost, I mean, this season obviously is not lost because the division is still at play. When Mm -hmm. do they start going to Desmond Ritter just to see what they have at quarterback for the future?
2: I I think as long as the Falcons are in contention for the division um, or a spot, then I think you're going to continue to see Marcus Mariota play Um, because I think they feel like he gives them the best chance to win a ballgame right now. Um, Yeah, I mean, Mariota's not he's not known as, you know, for his arm. He's, he's got those, he's got the legs he can move around the pocket. He can, you know, and make run and gives you that mobile option, which is great, but he's, you know, you get to, yeah, he gets to a shootout with a guy like like Joe Burrow or quarterback like Aaron Rodgers or somebody like that. I, you know, I'm putting my money on Burrow or Rodgers, not on Marcus Mariota to um, probably out those guys, but yeah, it's, and you saw that on display this week. I mean, you know, the Bengals jumped out to a big lead. Uh, the Falcons fought back, but you know, and, and outside of that one really long touchdown pass he had to Bird uh for that 75 yard touchdown pass into the set, you know, right before half. Um the Falcons offense just didn't, you know, they didn't move the ball very well. And part of it's just it's the run game. You gotta have uh, you gotta be able to move the ball on the ground uh for the Falcons to be able to allow Mariota to be able to pass. And that's that's a staple of any um Arthur Smith. Um, offense. You know, when he was in when he was the offensive coordinator with the Titans, he had Derrick Henry. And that offense went as Derrick Henry went. And so that's that's part of what they're missing with Cordero Patterson because he's out. Um so he's kind of that big back to get the offense going. But I mean the, the tandem that they have has been working pretty well. They just they had a little bit tough sledding at times getting it going at this week. So yeah, I think for 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 Mariota to be able to perform, Falcons have to run the ball well and that and also helps control time of possession but you get into the shootout where you have to pass all the time like you like they did sunday the kind of hole they dug into is gonna be really hard for them with a quarterback like Mariota to dig themselves out of it but we don't we don't know yet how desmond ritter is going to respond when he gets into a game um you know and but i think at some point you will see him play um particularly if the falcons do lose a few games start to fall behind in the standings and it looks like they're not going to make the playoffs um You can see Desert Ritter coming to play.
1: All right, Justin. This is the Georgia-Florida week. This is always my favorite time. Just looking forward to this incredible rivalry in Jacksonville. And really, it's been one-sided. Georgia has won seven of the last 11 meetings dated back to 2011. Mm -hmm. Justin, you're a lifelong Georgia fan. You remember from 1990 to 2010 that Georgia only won three times. Can you remember those three years that Georgia won? <laughs>
2: yes, I do. Uh 97, that was a big Heinz one. Heinz Ward, um, yes. Heinz Ward, that was huge. And then 2007 that was the year. Stop storming the in the, um, the end storm, storm in the end zone. Yeah, that was the um excessive uh, celebration call. Yeah, that was that was it. I was trying to look for the for the uh, right answer. Yeah, the uh of celebration call and then the other one, 2004, yeah, that I, I was it. At- the Ron Zook years, at
1: which Ron Zook yeah. actually had a two-and-one record, record against Georgia.
2: <laughs> yeah, he did, which was really sad
1: because he wasn't a very good head coach. Uh, yeah, it was
2: uh, – you know, I, I remember those years. You know, beating Florida was a big deal for us. You know, it, it, it kind of – I was watching the Alabama-Tennessee game you know, a couple weeks ago and saw how, you know, happy Tennessee was and they stormed the field, the celebrations and stuff when, when they finally beat Alabama for the first time in 15 years. And it did take me back to those years, those lean years for Georgia against Florida and how, you know, we were, you know, we beat Florida. That was a big deal, you know? And so that, you know, no matter what the rest of the season looked like, if we beat Florida, you know, that was a good season for us. And because they, they came so, They were so inconsistent and for Florida fans beating us was just a tradition, you know, they, for them, it was like, it was expected, you know, we were supposed to beat Georgia. And now in the last 10 years, um, really since about 2000, yeah, about last 10 years now, things, things have changed, you know, and, and that, that, that table has been turned, you know, now Florida has been going through some lean years and Georgia has been, you know, one of the top teams in college football, last five or six years. And so now, we we go into this, these Florida games, and now we pretty much expect to win these games,
1: um, which is definitely a different head you know
2: headspace than we were 20 years ago when we we were just hoping to
1: win these games. You're right. This rivalry has been one sided from 1990 to 2010. But uh, looking at the history, 2011 to 2013, Georgia rattles off three straight, and the mm-hmm. big talk was Will Muschamp was 0 three versus. Florida. In fact, he was—he didn't win a single game against the opponent because when he was a player at Georgia, he was, what, 0-4 against Florida? Like, he couldn't right. beat Florida as a player. Yep. And then he, he couldn't beat uh, Georgia as a head coach. Uh, mm-hmm. But he finally got over the hump, won it in 14. Florida in uh, the Jim McElwain era, Jim McElwain rattles off two wins. Uh, Florida actually goes to the SEC championship. Usually the winner of this game in the last 10 Usually the winner of this game represents the SEC East. And so Georgia, since 2017, Florida has only won once. That was the COVID year. That was 2020. That was the year that Georgia came up, came out the gate hot, 14 to nothing. That touchdown to Rosemary Jackson, and he got injured on the play. I remember Stetson Bennett wasn't at quarterback. He was at quarterback. Kyle Trash, just, you remember Kyle Pitts torched the Georgia defense, and uh, Florida won the game forty-four to twenty-eight. He did. Kyle Pitts did did torch our
2: defense, but he was only in there for a half. If you remember, Louis seen and him had a pretty nasty collision at the end of the first half. That's that right. That I think took that took both of them out of the game, and and Florida's offense did slow down a little bit in the second half because Kyle Pitts wasn't on the field. But it didn't really matter because we couldn't get our offense going again to be able to to catch up with them we pulled within i think 11 at one point and you started thinking well you know late in before it was it was early in the fourth quarter i think we were down by a little, maybe 11 or something or 13 at one point you start to think well maybe maybe georgia then get some stops and get some scores they can kind of get themselves back in and make it a, a tight finish but um but then they they found uh, florida found the end zone and kind of and, and pushed the score up more and that was pretty much all you know it was said and done, but Florida had a good team that year. You know, Faltras had a great season. Uh, Kyle Pitts um, was amazing that year. That's why he ended up being drafted number four to the Falcons. You know, in the in the NFL draft the following year. And so it it was a you know we knew that game was going to be tough that year because Florida had a good offense and they got over the hump and beat us that one year. Um, but it's been you know since that time you know it's been it's been more you know Georgia came back beat them the next year. Um, Dan Mullen got fired. Um, they replaced him now with Billy Napier. So, yeah, there's been a lot of um, a lot of change, you know, some change at, at Florida for sure um, over the last couple of years since they won that game in 2020.
1: Justin, I'm going to make a prediction for you for this Georgia-Florida game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I should be right because I've all the Georgia-Florida games that I've seen, it pretty much plays out the same. This game is going to be tight. It might even be scoreless after the first quarter. They are going to have some drives, like just like last year. You remember last year, Georgia had a drive. They missed a field goal. Uh, Stetson Bennett actually got into third and long situations. I think this is exactly what's going to happen, especially if A.D. Mitchell's not playing and Georgia does not have the vertical threat. Florida's defense mm-hmm. is going to target on Stetson Bennett. He's probably going to get into some third and long situations, and Georgia's offense is, is going to look shaky. But that Georgia defense, I don't think Florida's going to move the ball on the Georgia defense. You remember last year that Dan Mullen made the decision starting Anthony Richardson over Emory Jones. That kind of mm-hmm. backfired because Anthony Richardson threw a pick six. I think Anthony Richardson's a little bit better this year, but still, that Georgia defense is not going to allow Florida to get any points, especially if Georgia does not get any points. But in the second half, I think that the depth – that the Georgia Bulldogs have will come to fruition. And I think Georgia will pull away. And it still might be a one or two possession game. Georgia's favored by 22 points. I I'm looking, I'm gonna predict the score. I'm gonna say it's gonna be like 31 17.
2: That's not bad. That's not bad, a bad prediction at all. And I think it will probably play out the way you said. Um and, and kind of that's been kind of the way Georgia's played out most of the season, other than the couple of games like against South Carolina. And in the game, the first game against Oregon, where they jumped out to big leagues early in the game, Georgia's kind of been slow starting um, most of their games this season, and it's taken them a little bit to go. And but typically by this the second half, they will the depth usually starts to play and you know, becomes a factor. Uh, the other team gets worn down, whereas the, the, the you know the dogs are still pretty relatively fresh, being that they got so many players they can rotate in and out, and that depth um, will will usually helps them win games. And so, uh, you know, it could play definitely play out that way. Um, Anthony Richardson is, is, I think, a better quarterback this year than he was last year. I think Dan Mullen overthought that decision a little too much. I think he was trying to throw Georgia a curveball by starting a mobile quarterback like Anthony Richardson, thinking that maybe Georgia would have trouble with him. And, and the game did start off a little sluggish for, for the dogs, but then they they did turn like right before half. It was like Georgia scored like three times like right before half, you know, including the picks and a couple of touchdowns and some short field opportunities. And so, you know, the game all of a sudden turned on a dime and Georgia was up by a good bit going into halftime. And it, and it kind of just played that way out again. It could be similar. It could be similar this year too, where it kind of looks kind of slow in the first quarter, maybe no score maybe like a three nothing game after the first quarter. And then second quarter, something could change. If, if, if they throw a pick or something like that, give Georgia a, a short field, then, um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So I think um, I think this game is – I think Georgia's going to win. I, I definitely could see maybe like a 31-17 game or even like a 21-34 type game or something like that. Um, I think Florida will score some points, but I, I do think Georgia wins this game.
1: All right, let's talk about the Atlanta Hawks. They are 2-1. and one. They did lose – to the Charlotte Hornets Sunday afternoon. And the thing about this Atlanta Hawks team, they are not consistent. I thought that maybe with their big four, because that Mm -hmm. first night against Houston, they had four players score 20 or more points. And I actually thought that this is going to be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. But it's the same old Hawks. If they have a cold night shooting, they don't have a defensive stopper that can stop the team that gets hot. Charlotte did not have LaMelo Ball. They did not have Terry Rozier. That was unexcusable for the Hawks to lose to the Charlotte Hornets. I know that it's a Sunday afternoon game, and usually the Hawks won't even show up during these afternoon games or a home back-to-back. Like last year, they would lose to like the Indiana Pacers or the Detroit Pistons. Well, if the Hawks right. want to prove that they are one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, they have got to win the games to the teams they're supposed to beat. They're playing the Pistons for the next two games. I expect two victories against the Pistons. And then against the Milwaukee Bucks and the Toronto Raptors, we'll see.
2: Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely see. Yeah, that game against the Hornets was interesting because you know Hawks are winning um after the first quarter, and then they really they just started getting beat. Um, you know, thirty they gave up thirty-four points in the second quarter, forty-five points in the third. Like they just they just absolutely could not stop a um somewhat depleted. Hornets team, you know, and stuff. And so for that, that's that's inexcusable to get that many points when they're down some of their better players. Um, But, yeah, they did. They looked really good against the Rockets. Uh, They, you know, looked pretty good against the Magic as well on Friday night. Two and one record's not a bad start um, on the the season. You know, it's still very early to, you know, to really know what we got with this Hawks team quite yet after just three games, very small sample size. But I do agree. Some of those same problems, at least – we we saw from last season seem to at least con, are continuing at least with the first you know within the first three games that we saw, but there's still plenty of time to fix that and uh, kind of turn that around. But yeah, we got the Pistons coming up, you know, tomorrow and Friday, and then the Bucks after that. That'll be a tough one. Um, but yeah, we'll see what they got when as they as they get more into their schedule and we get a little bit better of a sample size to see how much of an impact the Jonathan Murray's having on this team, having that extra All Star there.
1: I I hate to criticize their head coach, Nate McMillan, because he did a phenomenal job taking over as the interim head coach and leading the Hawks to the Eastern Conference Finals two seasons ago. So you have two different styles of head coaches. Lloyd Pierce was a great developer of young talent, and Nate McMillan is the opposite. I want to see Jalen Johnson and A.J. Griffin, and Sharif Cooper has yet to play. I want to see them get more opportunities to develop I look at this Atlanta Hawks bench and they really don't have a whole lot of players on the bench. I know that Bogdan Boganovich is hurt right now and they haven't even played Jarrett Culver, but I'm telling you what, I don't know what is wrong with Clint Capella. I think that Clint Capella could be hurt. Uh, I want to see Onyeka Okongru in the starting lineup. He has shown that he is the legitimate starting center because I think that Clint Capella is, is washed out. I mean, I think that the Hawks won that trade, but I just don't think that Capella is that dominating player that he was when he was grabbing like 15 rebounds a game and being a defensive stopper.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely agree.
1: I don't see any development from these younger players.
2: Yeah Lord Pierce was a he's a great developer of young talent and I think that he was a great coach for the Hawks to have in those early rebuilding years when they were playing their young guys. you know when Trey Young was first coming into the league, John Collins was there. Um, big Red, you know, before he got traded uh, to Sacramento um, when he was still there. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Those rookies got the playing time because the team was in the rebuild. Um, now that we're out of that rebuild, you know, we're pretty much in our, I guess, what they would consider our window, and so to uh, to compete for championships now. And so that's that's where that's why the, the older guys are getting those calls. And, I, and I, I do like McMillan as a coach. You know, he was very good with the Pacers, but that was the one thing about he was a good regular season coach. But with the Pacers, he always, you know, he had lost the strings of first-round exits. He couldn't seem to coach and get the teams over the hump in the uh, in the playoffs. And so, um, you know, he made, you know, they made the incredible run two seasons ago, like you mentioned, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Last year was disappointing because they couldn't build off of that. They they made the play-in tournament but got knocked out um, in the first round uh, by the Heat. And so, there is some good young talent on this team. They continue to draft well, even with having lower first round picks and, and, and stuff, they seem to be getting in good young players. The problem is with a lot of them is they're blocked right now. But yeah, I would like to see some of these guys get some, maybe get some playing time and get some more, some more looks instead of just playing the, the older guys all the time um, in the league. So, but we'll, we'll see how the season goes. Like I said, it's, it's still young three, three games is, is hard to, you know, really nail down, you know, your, your, your real impressions about a team, Uh, Just yet, you know, give it a few more games, maybe get to that 10 game mark, and then we can have a really good first impression of what this team really looks like.
1: How do you feel about the Indianapolis Colts benching Matt Ryan? Um,
2: I'm not shocked, honestly. I really am not uh, shocked about this because he hasn't looked good. Uh, this season at all. I really thought him going into a, a good situation. I, I really thought Indianapolis was a great situation for him. They had a premier running back and Jonathan Taylor. They had pretty good wideouts. They had a good defense. You know I, what I thought was a pretty solid offensive line going into the season. And this team has just not played well. And it's not all Matt Ryan's fault. Like there's been a lot of things that's happened. Jonathan Taylor's been hurt. Um, the offensive line has not been quite as good. This season. So there's there's more than the, the problems extend more than just Matt Ryan. But I do think that at this point, he just hasn't played well either. He's made some some of his you know he's made some he through a pick six on Sunday. Um, he's made some not some questionable decisions um, on some, you know, some throws and, and some of his looks. And so I think that's part of it. It's just you know let's let's get another guy in there and, and see what happens with the offense. There, there's still some other there's other problems with the Colts that they need to fix. Um, that the quarterback's not that's not the quarterback won't be able to fix. But you know I think they feel like they got to do something at this point. And, and you know Matt's getting you know Matt's been around this league for a while. But it, but we saw this last year some of the questionable decisions, uh, some of the questionable you know receivers he would throw to. Um, and you start to it makes you start to wonder maybe if Matt's hit that you know what we call the cliff that quarterback cliff where they just kind of fall off and you and you start to wonder maybe if Matt if Matt has hit that cliff in his career and, and everything so we'll you know we'll see how it plays out Matt might get another shot at starting if if um, you know if uh, Ellington uh, Elling, Ellinger doesn't work out but at least for now um, you know Matt's going to be on the bench watching watching the game.
1: All right. One final thing. Um, would you ever be in a situation, let's say you're playing quarterback, Justin, your team's down 16 to nine. Uh, would you just run out of bounds and not even make an effort to try to throw it into the end zone for a hail Mary?
2: So yeah, that game. Yeah. I mean, you usually, you you should, um, even if you got a chance to, uh, to do that, even if it is, you know, if, if you can get within some range of your quarterback's arm to get there to make that hail Mary pass, you should take it. um, to try to, to try to score a point there. I know Hail Mary plays are, they're very low percentage play. Um, but we've seen some crazy ones work out, you know, that when, whenever I hear Hail Mary, I think of Josh Dobbs and his against the, against Georgia a few years back. Um, yeah. And how that, that day, how they pulled that one off. And so it, it can happen, but yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, if you have opportunity there to, sh- to, to take a Hail Mary pass, you take it. Now, sometimes it doesn't work out you got to, you know, even though they're not rushing everybody, your offensive line has to hold up. You know, they can't let somebody sneak into the backfield and disrupt your quarterback while the players are trying to get down the field. But yeah, you, you always take that shot at the end of a game. If you have an if you can get it there, you take a shot. Uh,
1: I wish I could say the same thing about my fantasy team. They took a hard hit. Lamar Jackson ain't giving me nothing on fantasy points. And I also played a guy, I had the 49ers defense, he had the Chiefs defense, and that pretty much was the difference and he had Raheem Mostert, but the thing is I was playing somebody that two of his players were on a buy, and he didn't even bother to change his lineup. Um, usually I'm thinking, oh, it's an easy win when I'm playing somebody who's not really all that active on their roster. Uh, the guy I was playing had the Chiefs defense. I had the 49ers defense. That pretty much was mm-hmm. the deciding factor, although I have Travis Ntien and Mm-hmm. they uh they traded away James Robinson to the New York Jets. So I think that Travis ntn is now going to be the featured back in Jacksonville. But yeah, I, I hate it when I, when I lose to somebody that's not really actively playing fantasy football because he had two starters right. that were on a buy and he, he didn't even move. He, he didn't, he didn't even change his line.
2: Right. Yeah. So I, I won my, one of my leagues, I won um pretty good actually because and it's actually the guy was in, he's in, he's been in, he's in first place. He's been in first place most of the year. He's got a good team, but he's, he actually, so he had, he has um, Josh Allen as a starting quarterback and they were, the bills are on by this past week. And so he didn't, he took, he took Anderson out of his lineup. but He never did replace it. He never actually put a starting quarterback in. So I won by like 50 points, but it was because the quarterback didn't, <laughs> he didn't have a starting quarterback um, to put in his place. So I, I had a feeling I would, Probably, if I don't beat a team that doesn't have their starting quarterback in, then I should just give up fantasy football at that point. But I won pretty good there, and then the uh, my other league was a close one. I I honestly thought I was I was cruising to a victory, and then my team just underperformed. I ended up losing by six points. Um, I had Dak Prescott back, quarterback. He didn't quite perform as high as I thought he would, but you know it was, it was modest numbers for coming back. Debo Samuel was down this week, so it was um, Portland Sutton. They didn't have good weeks. I got pretty good weeks out of Taylor, Brian Robinson, and um, Kelsey. But um, I started at the, at the flex. What got me was the flex spot. I, I, I have Christian Kirk from Jacksonville, and I have DK Metcalf from Seattle. And I was trying to debate on which one I should start, and I went with Metcalf, and that was the wrong decision. (laughs) So if I'd have started Kirk, I would have won that (laughs) week. But yeah, but I started Metcalf and I lost. So that was that's that one's on me.
1: Well, Justin, as always, thank you once again for joining the show.
2: Oh, absolutely. Glad to be on here and, uh, you know, looking forward to talking to you about more sports next week. Hopefully, we'll have more, more good things to say about the Hawks next
1: week. Of course. That was my Wednesday guest, Justin Dale. Thank you, everybody, once again, for listening to the show. Don't forget that you could also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can download the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hope everybody has a great rest of your day, and I'm out of here. Bye.
0: You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe.